Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Science Fiction Rating System. I'm just here with Alex to introduce it, really. Alex has got another one of his star-studded Hollywood hookups. Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, who are you talking to, Alex? Uh, it's Rodney Asher, the uh, mm. documentary maker who did, uh, you might have heard of, Room 237, which is about The Shining, yep. or conspiracy theories, and uh, The Nightmare, which is about sleep paralysis, which is one of the scariest films I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I, I, Room 237, I love that, but I, I, I'm yet to uh, pluck up the courage to watch <laughs> <laughs> the other one. So, oh, uh, it's, yeah, it's horrible. Uh, yeah, so he's got a new documentary out called uh, A Glitch in the Matrix, which is about uh, people who believe they're living in simulated realities. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Simulation theory. Simulation yeah. theory. And oddly, we've done quite a few of the, we've done a few of the simulation theory films, haven't we? We have, yeah. Like, yeah, the film has a lot of clips in it from films. Yeah, a lot of because a lot of Philip K. Dick as well. We've done a lot yeah. of that, so it was. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So no, cool. I I managed to have a chat with him, and it was uh, yeah, he was a good good person to talk to, and uh, I was wearing my uh, Total Recall t shirt, and he he did uh, notice it, so I was quite happy. <laughs> well, we have the interview uh, now, and then we'll be back afterwards to let you know how we're going to celebrate the film further. very much hey Rodney it's hey, uh, Alex hey hey there um, how are you I'm good how's it going over there not too bad yeah still still stuck in lockdown um, it's kind of it's with your film I think uh, your film is kind of a it's the perfect time to have this film out kind of uh, during this pandemic and this kind of crazy world we're living in it seems very apt that it's kind of coming out around now um. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're all interacting with these little video screens, right? That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I thought I thought it was amazing. I, I really loved the documentary. How how did you come to that subject, the kind of simulated reality subject? Well, you know, in some ways, it feels like kind of a, a natural progression from you know two three seven, where people are trying to understand a film and the nightmare, where people are you know, thinking about dreams to mm. the nature of reality. But I mean, the truth is it wasn't as premeditated as that, just that in the talking with people um, over the course of the nightmare, simulation theory presented itself at one point as an idea of what was happening in that heightened state of consciousness. Mm. And then I very kind of quickly fell into that rabbit hole and found it coming up in conversation um, more and more and more around me. And you know, maybe one of the key moments too, or when I started seeing like chat lines and um, message boards where people were sharing, you know, personal stories of, you know, inexplicable things that happened to them that Mm. suggested that they were in a simulation. And all of a sudden I was able to see, well, instead of just talking about, you know, the theory as an abstract concept that we'd be able to get people recounting these, um, you know, first person stories. Um, and in reflecting on on what those mean, and you know, I don't know that there's you know anyone who hasn't lived through <laughs> some <laughs> unexplainable series of coincidences that suggests yeah. that um, <laughs> you know, somebody's got their finger on the scale. Yeah. So was it that? So it was it that people who experience a sleep paralysis, one way for them to understand it was maybe in terms of that, in terms of a simulated reality. Yeah. Well, that was you know in that moment. 
you know, it's mm. like that. It's like that's that moment in the what in the Matrix, right, where Neo can see the code raining down. Mm. Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the 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 interviews. I love how that, like you say, they're all kind of conducted like this over kind of um, over video calls, and um, you have these like amazing like avatars for the the four interviewees. Was that? I guess is it was it to hide their identity or was it? Do they? Um, did they have kind of a like? Uh, did they have a hand in the design of what those characters looked like at all? Or? Yeah, it wasn't um, necessarily about anonymity. It was more mm. about talking about both this sort of um, mismatch of feeling like you and you know of of reality and unreality, as well yeah. as you know sort of sort of ex exaggerating you know where digital communications you know are going. You know, yeah. we're speaking through not necessarily avatars, but, you know, little video windows, but as often as not, you know, on social media, you know, I've got a icon that I'm always switching mm -hmm. out to be one thing or the other or communicating through emojis and GIFs or, you know, mm -hmm. chatting with other people, you know, even within, you know, sort of networked video games. Yeah. Know, that, um, the, so that, that, that kind of thing, you know, felt like a, you know, kind of an apt way to allow the, the form of the movie to reflect the subject mm. it's what it's brilliant because it's quite jarring at first but then when you start kind of showing their stories and their their experiences it's such a brilliant way of kind of having that world uh computer generated but having them actually appear in it right you know i thought i thought it was a really clever kind of artistic um kind of like i don't know just a really really great way of kind of bringing you in and making those stories feel real yeah, thanks. That was, you know, sort of a lucky side effect that, you know, we wouldn't need to hire an actor who looks a little bit like them and fit them with a fit 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 them with a wig to make them look a little yeah. more like the interviewee. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's kind of like when listening to those four people talk, it kind of it, to me it felt like instead of kind of the idea of gods or god they'd kind of swapped that for a game or an algorithm like a game or an algorithm. And it, and it kind of, do you think, did you get the sense that they were comforted by not being in control of their own lives at all? Um, I don't know if I would say comforted, but certainly, you know, um, the notion that it becomes an almost religious idea, you know, is something that came up again and again and again. In fact, I was kind of surprised at how frequently people would bring it up literally. You know, mm. I could see it, you know, metaphorically coming up that, Oh yeah, in some ways it's a different kind of creation myth, right? That you mm. know, did God create the world the world in six days using the word, or did you know some third grader create it? You know, while cramming on an over on a, on a on a long weekend on their you know on their PlayStation. Um, but yeah, I mean, very 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 quickly they all sort of starting started to deepen dig into you know the almost religious ramifications mm. of the idea. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like quite a spiritual experience when they, like in the um, uh, the the, uh, the deprivation tank and the the guy who has it a realization in church, even though he's not very religious, it was a very religious experience when they, like when they pulled back the curtain, as it were. It seemed quite a a big feeling for them all. Yeah, well, and especially the one you know the um, when uh, you know like Brother Mistwood wrote us originally and talked about that deprivation chamber experience. You know, I immediately thought that that would be an interesting story to tell because, you know, not just because, wow, that's an unusual thing that happened to that guy. But, 
that's something that's happened to many people, right? It happened mm. to Philip K. Dick when, you know, after yeah. his dental surgery and that pink laser mm. hit him from outer space, or, you know, <laughs> you, you go, you go back again to Bible stories and, you know, like Paul's conversion on the road to, uh, to um, Damascus where mm. he was over, where he was overcome with a sudden inspiration. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I thought that, I, I thought those connections were, were, were really kind of compelling. Mm. Talking of the Philip K. Dick, there's that um, you you interweave a lot of that amazing uh, footage from that talk he did in France, and I, I thought it's kind of you, you kind of keep seeing him, and he looks so nervous, and you keep seeing the audience, and they look so shocked. Do you yeah. think like why do, do you, I, I, do, I kind of wonder why he chose that moment to kind of reveal those controversial beliefs, or like what was kind of going through his head to go right? This is where I'm going to tell people my what I think. It's quite yeah, I haven't found out that much about you know the days, weeks, months before that, um, before before that appearance. But I mean, clearly, this is something that he'd been wrestling mm. with for, um, I guess, I guess it was about three years, right? Because that experience yeah. happened to him in 1974, um, and at a certain point, you know, he went public with it. Mm. Yeah, it's just like their faces. They just, I think it's obviously clear that they were there to hear about books and he'd start saying these things that are kind of like blowing their minds. Like, yeah, and well, yeah. you can imagine the poor translator having to try to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. I I'm, I'm wonder if how much it actually got through the translation, if some of it was lost a little bit. I don't know. Um, I also thought, like, I think one of the great, like, your film, it's very much like Room 237 in that one of the main themes of the film is the power of, 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 of cinema and of, of, of movies. Why do you think the matrix was such a huge, why had it have such a big impact on audiences and on pop culture? Well, I mean, there's both, you know, I mean, I talked a little bit about the style and the substance of this one, you know, which are much less dramatic than, um, you know, what they were able to pull off in the matrix. Mm. But I mean, yeah. again, that's the, what the ultimate collision of style and substance, right? That, that movie looked like nothing that had come before it. Afterwards, every action science fiction movie looked old fashioned in comparison to the way yeah. that they were able to, um, you know, the bullet time and the way they were able to choreograph, you know, the, the, those incredibly kind of Hong Kong inspired action mm. scenes. Um, so, you know, I think it's all in, in a way I see a, a big comparison with the shining too, that, mm. um, you know, people are drawn to both of those movies, both because they've got big ideas, but they're also fun, rewarding pop cinematic experiences. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like two, 2001 is, you know, arguably a deeper movie than The Shining, but mm. it's not as much of a crowd pleaser, perhaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Which allowed The Shining to, you know, sort of make it drill its way into more people's heads. It's mm. Also, you know, I mean, I think, the, the, you know, uh, something I came to figure out at a, at, a, at a certain point is something as mundane as the aspect ratio of The Shining mm. allowed it to play in home video better than 2001, yeah. which yeah. before high definition TVs, you know, it was like a bumper sticker playing in the middle of <laughs> yeah of a, of a of a 17 inch screen you could barely you know you could, you could barely make out the image and or appreciate yeah. the, the compositions and you know the shining you know there was famously he filmed it so that you can remove the the mat and play it um full frame full frame on a standard def tv without losing any image um, yeah and, and sometimes it's 
funny little things like that that really that that allow a movie to you know kind of reach that broad of an audience and mm. you know the matrix didn't present itself like homework i mean it was a mm. kick-ass action yeah cathartic ex- experience that snuck those ideas in um mm. you know um you know sort of um uh, uh, with a spoonful of sugar yeah I really, I mean, it's, I think the whole film was kind of quite like unsettling, but definitely one of the kind of hardest bits of the film is the Joshua Cook kind of story about, about how, what he did and his obsession with the matrix and how he led to him kind of murdering his parents. What, um, like what, cause you you kind of say that he went on to write a book and is he still in prison to what, what kind of happened after those events? Uh, what, what, how did his life progress after that? Well, I mean, he went straight to prison, and he's yeah. still there for another now twenty some years. Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, he's, I think, you know, been you know working to become a better person as best he can mm. while in there, and he's become you know really religious, and you know, again, he's trying to reach out to people with that book, and even by participating in this film, um, yeah. Um, you know, a, a pretty straight line for, you know, I mean, when you get to it, to what happened mm-hmm. to him after the movie, he went to prison mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and, 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 and he's still there, but, um, you know, trying to reach, trying to reach out and it even, and it sounds like, you know, it's fun, like speaking to him, he sounds, you know, very rational, very reflective, you know, very conscious of, of, of what he did, the consequences of it and where he's at now, even though by, most accounts, you know, it doesn't sound like he's gotten, you know, a huge amount of therapy that most of it has been mm. hard work that, you know, he's done, mm. you know, on his own or, you know, with, with, with his peers in there. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's quite, uh, I think it's interesting because it really, that story makes very clearly paints the point that you say about how the kind of dehumanization, the idea that if we are in a simulated reality, we can just do what we want to each other. It doesn't really matter because no one's real and all that. Like kind of, I think that story kind of really like brings it home that, you know, like the reality of that, because that could get, yeah. you know. Well, of course, for a while, talking about simulation is, you know, kind of fun, stony, um, speculative game of what if. Mm. Um, you know, it's like that conversation in Animal House about a tiny planet is one molecule of your thumbnail man and maybe our whole universe is a molecule and some giant thumbnail and you know that's kind of that that, that, that's kind of fun in its way but um Mm. you know there's certainly anything that can suggest that you know you can divide people into the important ones and the unessential Mm. ones is is incredibly dangerous um Mm. you know and simulation theory isn't the only philosophy that that leads you to that place um Mm. but you know at a certain point it felt important, um, you know, to tie this stuff more to real world consequences and to mm. get out of the abstract theorizing, um, you know, yeah. which is where, and, you know, and I just, and I kind of discovered Josh's th- story, you know, because, you know, in my sort of research about simulation theory, you know, I discovered the matrix defense. Mm. Yeah. Right? That, I mean, which that's, is, yeah, that's fascinating. And the fact that there's like the taxi driver, defense as well yeah well in, 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 in san francisco there was the twinkie defense okay. which was when what was the, that? Uh, well <laughs> there was um like he, he, there, there was a uh, a politician in san francisco harvey milk you know, a very progressive mm. um 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 
I forget what office he served, openly gay, which was a, a big deal in the 70s, I, I think when his story went down. And, you know, he was shot by, I think it was a, I think it was a policeman who shot him. Um, and his defense, which um, didn't carry a whole lot of water, was that he'd been, that he'd been eating a lot of junk food and was on sort of a sugar high and couldn't control, and couldn't control himself. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Twinkie defense is a little less substantial than the taxi driver yeah. defense or the Matrix defense. But, you know, mm. if, if you're going to do a roundup of unusual criminal defense theories, yeah. it, but might, I, I mean, it, I, it might have a cameo. Yeah. I mean, I guess as pop culture becomes more kind of meaningful and significant to people, those kind of dif- like those those arguments are going to become more have a bit more yeah. weight behind them. Well, you know, and when they say the Matrix, you know, yeah. I don't, they, they don't literally mean the film or they don't always mean that, you know, it's, mm. it's a very, it's, it's shorthand for simulation theory that you, that mm. if you don't think the world is real, then, you know, like, you know, like what I think, you know, a big part of the insanity defense, right. Is whether you understand the ramifications of your actions, mm. you know, yeah. and if you, and if you think you're in a big video game, then you don't really understand it, it would go to follow that you don't mm. really understand the consequences. No. Um, so the way Josh tells the story, it's like they made themselves apparent very, very quickly. Um, mm. You know, once everything, once everything happened. Yeah. I, I also love that section about the guy who kind of sees himself as a, an NPC, you know, and yeah. about his job and some of that. And I kind of, it really kind of really made me think about how, there are certain jobs or certain places where you all wear the same uniform. You've got a script, you're doing repetitive jobs. It's almost like those businesses are turning kind of you into that kind of non-player character in a way. It's almost like their manifesto is to do that. It's kind of, do you think those sorts of jobs have had a made a given a rise to the popularity, the, the kind of popularity of the simulation theory? I have I haven't considered that before, but I mean it's it's very plausible the way that you talk about it. Certainly, it makes the metaphor that much easier to grasp, right? Yeah, I just yeah, it's just kind of the you know if we're all wearing if you work for one of the big chains or whatever, doing whatever, you're wearing the same thing. You're told how your interaction should go. You know, like you you've got that great bit where you have the little graph of if you know if they say this, say sure. that, and we are just all being certain jobs are kind of pushing you to be just repeating a script and you would start to kind of doubt your own, <laughs> your own presence almost in that. Yeah. Well, that and, certainly you're, and certainly your agency, right. And you're not, mm. you know, and in yeah. that kind of a role, you're not encouraged to show independent thought yeah. and to say, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've considered a better way to do this, you know, yeah. may, may well be seen as stepping out of line. Yeah. It's kind of deleting your individuality to give a, to give a repetitive, uh, uh, an outcome every time you know they want the, the business might want the same they want everyone to get the same kind of thing from, from each, each interaction it's kind of a, yeah it's a, it's a bit well, depressing I mean, but. well i mean think about the beginning of full metal jacket right where yeah the, everybody gets their head buzzed mm. so that yeah. you know their individual their individuality is being stripped away as they're being made into cogs yeah. in the machine yeah and just that, yeah just, just that one just, just, just that opening credit sequence is so brilliant you know and, and in a way <laughs> It could stand alone as a as a you yeah. know as, as a powerful short film. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we kind of on my podcast I do with my friends. We we've, we've done a few kind of simulated reality themed sci fi's uh, like we surrogates, uh, Dark City, World on a Wire, which was one I didn't know anything about until we. That one's amazing. I love that. It. I love yeah. World on a Wire. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it, we had to do it in two, we, it's got in two parts, we had to do it in the two parts, but it's fascinating that film, how kind of ahead of its time it was, it kind of, a lot of the Matrix. It's like 20 years, yeah. like 20 years ahead of its time. Yeah, right? and, and also, yeah, yeah, with the 13th that Floor well. is based on the same book. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I also thought it was interesting in World on a Wire, because in that, I think they're running the simulation to solve their own energy problem, I think it is. And that was kind of some of the guys in your film were kind of saying, oh, maybe the simulation is to kind of work out, you know, like work out, like that was that kind of the theory they'd come to as well. Well, that, that, that makes the most sense, right? I mean, mm. if I was to speculate on what's the purpose of, simu- of the simulation, yeah. like Nick Bostrom talks about ancestor simulators, which to me mm. makes it suggests... Though, I mean, the idea of ancestor simulators suggests to me that you would create a simulation of the past in order to study it like a historian. Yeah. But if you made a, which is, you know, one possibility, I suppose, and then you can come in and make a, you know, 3D IMAX doc about yeah. all sorts of historical events that, <laughs> that, 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 that happened the onset before, that happened before um, the invention of photography. But yeah. I mean, what logically makes sense to me is if you've got a problem outside the simulation that you create, you know, a hundred, yeah. 10, a hundred, a thousand worlds and introduce that problem into each of them, you know, make mm. each one a little bit different. Um, yeah. You know, you have Brexit passes in this one and it doesn't pass in this one. <laughs> yeah. And see, see which, which world, one survives. See which, world, <laughs> see which one has, has a, see which one solves your problem. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that that really kind of the whole Mandela effect of people remembering products looking one way and then being another way, that kind of really chimes in with that because it's almost like that was another reality where Kit Kats had a hyphen or, you know, those those, those little changes that people say, ha- yeah. yeah, they've seen happen. Yeah, well, and that thing is, and, and I, I, I thought it was funny that the Mandela effect thing sort of echoed Philip K. Dick's idea that, remembering things uh, having been a little bit different in the past it was mm. sort of the, 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 the he he presented that as you know evidence that yeah. the simulators had been changing the variables yeah. around and that some of us would have a memory of how things used to be um, <laughs> yeah and, no, and it's like well it was like 40 years later you're not the only you know 40 years later you know there's this active page on reddit where people are <laughs> cataloging thousands of them <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's obviously he would be probably feel good that he's not alone out there. You know, if he'd oh, known God, about yeah. it. No, he was the canary. <laughs> he was the canary in the coal mine of you know sort of a thousand twenty <laughs> first century anxieties. <laughs> um, what's your? Do you have like a, apart from the Matrix? Do you have a favorite kind of simulated reality sci fi yourself, or is there one that you kind of that you really love yeah. that you? I'm especially partial to Existence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think one of the brilliant things he did, you know, was um, you know make the video game interface that biological thing, mm. which instantly puts it into a universe tangential to ours, but also yeah. in a very canny way keeps it from dating. Right? The, yeah, you know the, the the things that always date the worst, you know, are tech devices mm. <laughs> in a future in a yeah. futuristic in in a futuristic yeah. movie sidestep that you know pretty elegantly yeah and it's that's got a great kind of uh npc scene when they go and i think they go and see someone and they say that, that the person says the line of dialogue and um jude law 
starts talking and he's not given the right response so the guy just keeps repeating himself because he doesn't he hasn't had the prompt of the dialogue to kind of move forward the story it's great yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's so beautiful just to see a human actor d- yeah emulating that um that, yeah that no definitely yeah it's kind definitely. Of a brilliant scene there's an amazing scene at the beginning of virtuosity too where they're kind of surrounded by a thousand npcs but mm-hmm. you know again it's um you know, it's 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 not digitally created. It's just you know done with like a thousand extras who are all dressed identically yeah. um, <laughs> in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I have to. We'll have to check that one out on our on our podcast. Um, I've been asked to wrap things up, sadly, but um, I guess what is? Do you have any plans for anything like your next documentary? Is there any ideas or subject matters you're kind of you might be looking at next? Um, Nothing I can nothing I can really announce. You know, there's uh, there's two or three things that I'm that I am, um, you know, that, that that I'm juggling right now. One of them is actually scripted, but there are sort of elements mm-hmm. of it that feel like you know a nonfiction, um, you know, kind of hybrid collision of documentary and scripted drama. Um, and one of the doc things that I'm approaching is maybe because of a change of pace is um, um, a comedy. <laughs> oh wow okay yeah well, i mean so I, I, yeah i mean seriously the night i watch a lot of horror films but the nightmare is still one of the most disturbing films i've ever seen like it it, it, it i still i still would if people ask me what, what one of the scariest films is i would say the nightmare and my friend who i do the uh podcast with he can't watch it because he's actually had sleep paralysis so he kind of refuses to watch it so <laughs> a comedy <laughs> would be a change of pace definitely <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. And like I say, I think it's a brilliant film and I hope it gets kind of, uh, I hope there's a lot of people out there who see it because I think it, it, it just makes you think and it really, uh, it does your head in and in, in a great way. So thank you. I appreciate that. And I uh, dig your um, Total Recall shirt. Oh yes, yes. I thought it was. I thought it was appropriate. I was trying to be on brand for the, uh, for the conversation. <laughs> dig it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Rodney. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Alex. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Alex. Uh, interesting as usual. Um, this just reminded me, have mm. you seen the film, this is completely off topic, but have you seen the film Nobody? with? Uh, oh, no, I haven't. Is it good? Uh, um, what's his name? Bob Odenkirk. Yes, it is really good. Uh, it's got one of your previous interviewees in it, Michael Ironside, and he's really oh. good in it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was I've seen, funny cause I, I've seen the trailer to it. It looks really good. It's, really, it's, it's like John Wick, but... Um, oh, it's the bloke okay. who did the Harcourt Henry bloke. It's that guy. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, so it's got a lot of inventive um, fight scenes. You'd love it. It's oh, definitely okay. worth watching. Okay. But yeah, but because of your interview, I recognise Michael Ironside because obviously he looks quite different nowadays. Yeah. But off your video, I thought, oh no, I know that. Is. <laughs> did he uh, cut his own head with a samurai sword at any point? <laughs> no, like he no, did no, not in his sword, no. Uh, no. Before, yeah, okay. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, off topic, but go and watch that. Everyone at home, great film. You see Christopher Lloyd with a shotgun in that. Um, wow. Very old Christopher Lloyd kicking ass. It's fantastic. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, yes. Yeah, so we will be um, uh, looking, watching a couple of his recommendations, won't we, over the next few weeks? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, we've got. Uh, yeah, I tried to push him because he didn't actually. World, World on a Wire. It mm. isn't mentioned in that documentary, and I yeah. did. I knew he would have heard of it, and I didn't want to be like that kind of guy to be like, oh. Uh, you didn't mention World on a Wire, <laughs> uh, uh, but he did end up mentioning. It, but he, he he kind of name checked a couple of films within that interview that are, we haven't seen, so we thought yeah. we might as well uh, 
Might as well take yeah. a look at them. Yeah, so that's going to be Virtuosity and Imposter. I think Imposter especially is loads of shots from that in Glitch and Matrix, mm. aren't they? It keeps going back to that. Yeah. Um, they're two, they both feel okay, Dick? Films, I'm not sure. Imposter definitely Imposter is. Imposter definitely is, isn't it? I'm not sure about Virtuosity. Pro- no. Probably not, having seen no. Virtuosity. Uh, but yeah, so those would be, um, I think they're our next two films. I can't think what, how it works out in terms of time. Yeah, I think they are, yeah. So join us later in the week for Virtuosity, yeah. Yes. So yeah, cheers, Alex. Thanks for that. That's okay. And uh, thanks, Rodney, for uh, for being an interviewee. Maybe I'll see you in a film with Bob Odenkirk soon. <laughs> cool. Right. We'll see you later in a week. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye.